When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a few bedtime stories. Before we begin, I was asked once again to be a guest on the podcast, Watch If You Dare, where we discussed 1999's The Haunting, and I had so much fun as usual. So please go check it out. That's Watch If You Dare, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, This week, I have three tales for you. It's been a while since I've packed so many into one episode, but you all deserve it for being so incredibly kind last week when I was in the hospital and had to skip an episode. First up, we have a story by author Callie Demi, and just a look behind the curtain of how many submissions I have, Callie submitted this in September of 2021. (laughs) I try to dip into random points of time in my submissions, and I'm glad I came across this one. I absolutely adore this story. This is The End. Have you ever heard the two-sentence horror story? The last man on earth sat alone in his room. He heard a knock at the door. Often I find my mind drifting to those two lines. So many questions on how he became the last man, why him, and who or what was knocking at his door. I'd ponder the latter question the most. What could possibly be knocking? Was it some horrible monstrosity? mocking its last victim with the glimmer of hope that he was not alone? Or was it some amazing miracle sent to save him from his solo purgatory? Then my mind would turn to Schrodinger's cat and be sent tumbling down another endless train of thought with no sure ending. We would never know what was behind that door, if it was good or evil, damning, saving. Lately, I've been left to think a lot, and the deeper I go into my mind, the more I think I've gone insane. I always find myself back at the beginning, those last few moments before I found myself trapped inside Schrodinger's box. Was I alive? Or was I dead? And... Was there anyone left to find out? It was like any other day. That's what is so frustrating about it all. Nothing could have prepared me for this, or even hint at the hell I'd be plunged into. My boyfriend and I had just moved here about a year prior. We left familiarity behind to start our own adventure. 
and I'd like to say we were doing pretty damn good. We worked together at a manufacturing plant. We recently got a new car and extended the lease on our apartment for another year. We were happy. And that's what pisses me off the most. We were happy. Things were good, and we kept to ourselves, and there were no toes we could have stepped on or primal deity we could have offended. It was a Friday. That much I can remember. We were going to get takeout after work, like we always did on Fridays. We were getting ready for work, me having just finished showering and him washing some leftover dishes from the night before. We bantered and teased, just like we always did. God, I wish I could remember what we spoke about. Rain has to go out. Since I did the dishes, you have to take her. My boyfriend calls from the kitchen. I look down at Rain, the tiny purebred Shiba Inu who looked right back up at me. Her head cocked to one side after hearing her name and the word out. I couldn't help but smile and ask, Outside? You want to go outside? At that, she was off like a rocket, running from room to room, playfully stomping every now and again to see if I was ready. Everything in that moment was so... perfect. So... happy. I would give anything to go back. Slipping her into her harness, I unlocked the front door and called back to my boyfriend. Be right back. Make sure you're ready to go. I love you. I could hear him say it back from the other room. And with that, we went. I wish I had said more to him. Told him he was the love of my life and that I was so, so happy to have met him. I think about that the most. What I wish I would have told him before closing that door. I think that is when it happened. When that latch clicked, it separated me from my perfect life. Rain and I headed down the stairs and out the front door. The day was pretty nice for mid-August and a cool breeze swept my hair back from my face. I admired the brilliant blue sky while Rain admired a nearby fire hydrant. She tinkled here and there, trotting along the sidewalk with her head lowered, sniffing out the scents of past dogs and other urban creatures. Everything was like it always was when I took her out. There was no sign of anything being wrong. It was when we rounded a corner that I felt an unsettling chill racing up my spine. Our neighborhood, while mostly quiet, still had people out, especially on nice days like this. But there was an absence, an absence of people and the sounds they produce. I couldn't hear cars racing somewhere off in the distance, revving their engines just because they could. There weren't other people walking their dogs or trimming their yards. There was nothing. I turned around quickly, wanting to be back inside for a reason I couldn't quite place. I froze. There at the other end of the street, way off in the distance, 
was a person. They were dressed in all black, a hoodie pulled up over their head. Their back was to me, but I couldn't help but feel that they were getting closer. I started walking quickly, half yanking rain along as I tried to reach my apartment building before the person reached me. It seemed like every step I took, they took two. Their legs never moved or bent, they just shifted. They were advancing on me and fast. I scooped down and picked up Rain in my arms. She spread all her limbs out, spread eagle, which normally I would find comical. This time though, I was anxious and just wanted to get inside. In my rush to pick her up, Rain's outstretched paw scratched my right cheek just below my eye. I winced, feeling my eye tearing up a bit from the cut so close to it. I tried to blink away the tears, all while jogging to my building. Through the watery haze, I could see the person, no, the thing, was speeding up too. Now I could see them better. They were tall and incredibly thin. Their legs seemed more like pants than anything, the cloth flapping madly in the wind. It still had its back to me, and I noticed the reason I didn't see it move was that it shifted every time I blinked. With every attempt to clear my eyes, the thing advanced further along. My heart was pounding in my chest, struggling to hold the dog and also keep my eyes open. We were two buildings away. At that point, I was running, no longer able to contain my panic. Poor Rain was bouncing in my arms, her little heartbeat pounding against her chest. She saw it too and I could feel her tense. When she saw it, her big brown eyes locked onto it, and it stopped moving. I think if she hadn't seen it, we might not still be here. Her beautiful, God-saving eyes stayed wide and alert, not blinking as I raced to the stoop. The thing was right in front of the building next door, its back still to us. At this distance, I could tell its body was... How can I say this? Wrong. Where its knees were, they seemed to be bent in multiple places. Like they were crushed and left to heal at awful angles. The hoodie it wore was black, but stained with multiple large brown splotches. Even with its hood up, it seemed like the neck was far too long for any normal person. The hood was stretched tight against its skull, just barely staying up. I could see the outline of ears, but they weren't positioned right. One seemed far too high up, almost near the top of its head, the other too far down along the neck. It seemed almost its head was sideways, stuck forever in a tilted position of curiosity. I kept my eyes locked on it, fumbling with the knob for the front door. Rain squirmed in my arms, but kept her gaze focused on the strange thing. Finally, I burst the door open and practically sprinted up the stairs, slamming the door hard and fast. I booked it to the staircase leading up. I feel like I flew up those stairs, taking multiple steps at a time in an attempt to get to safety. If I could just get into my apartment. There was a lock. There was my boyfriend. 
There was sanctuary. It was one of the last few steps that I lost my footing. My toe clipped a step and I was sent flying forward. Rain flew from my arms and slid across the wooden floor, her nails scraping hard to slow herself. She stopped sliding and looked back at me. Or more, looked behind me. I could see the hair on her back stand up, her voice going deep and primal as she formed a growl. My breath caught in my throat, choking on my saliva and need for air. With my heart pounding in my head, I looked back, standing not even a foot away from me, was the thing. What hit me first was the smell, the smell of must and mold, rot and decay, the smell of death. The next thing I noticed was how fucking tall it was. Its head nearly touched the ceiling. I was frozen my eyes feeling like they would tumble out of their sockets with how wide they were. I could smell the blood from my cheek, mixing with that festering smell emanating from behind me. I flipped onto my back, scooting backwards on my butt up the remaining stairs, scrambling to distance myself from the thing. Rain moved herself to my side her tiny frame expanding to its full power as she growled even louder. My sweet, innocent girl, who rarely ever barked and normally approached people on the street happily, was out for blood. Instinctively, I grabbed her by the back of her harness, keeping her from getting any closer to the thing. It was at that moment, I nearly pissed myself. I could see that very slowly. It was turning around. I could see more of its left side as it turned, and I could tell its hands were in the front pocket of the hoodie. I couldn't see its face, and I have a feeling that if I did, I wouldn't still be here. Writing this out in some vague attempt at a warning, at the fear of seeing what it truly was, I quickly picked Rain back up and bolted to my apartment door. Rain's head peered over my shoulder, her growl vibrating my arms as I launched into my front door. I basically threw Rain again, though a little gentler this time. I slammed the door shut, locking it and deadbolting it. I backed away slowly, panting and shaking. I heard nothing. No footsteps of my pursuer. Snapping back to reality, I rushed to the kitchen, where I still heard my boyfriend washing the dishes. Zack! Babe, something really fucked up is... The faucet was still running. There was no sign of my boyfriend. A feeling of dread started to develop in the pit of my stomach. Zack? Where are you? This isn't funny. I searched the apartment. Every nook and cranny. There was no sign of him. 
His phone, wallet, keys, and shoes were still where he left them. It was like he just... vanished. I searched over and over, checking the rooms, expecting something different each time, but it was all the same. That's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting something, anything, to be different. I collapsed on the couch. Rain stood in front of the door, still, her hair still up and a growl echoing throughout her body. I grabbed my phone. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it sooner. I called 911. But nothing. I called again and nothing. Then I called my mom, my dad, my grandma, my brother. Fuck, even people who I had in my contacts who I hadn't spoken with in years. Nothing. No one was there. I heard no signs of human life. Looking outside every window confirmed that fact even more, and settled my fear into my chest. The only thing I could see was it. Every window I checked, it was there. It stood just below the windows, its back still to me. It wanted me to know I wasn't alone. It was still there. I don't know how long it's been now. I've lost track of the days. The food is dwindling, but I'm not hungry. I eat just because I know I need to, and of course I give Rain a little bit of whatever I'm having. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't still be here. She deserved to be pampered. Currently, she's laying at my feet, under my desk. It's dark out, and we just finished sharing a can of chicken noodle soup that I had heated using a candle and lighter. I'm not sure what the point of me writing this down is. I'm alone here. Or if there are others, they're probably trapped just like I am. So what's the point? The reason I'm writing this, the reason I keep thinking back to that two-sentence horror story, the reason why my hand just won't stop shaking. It had been silent, other than the sounds Rain and I had made. Pure silence. But just a few minutes ago, there was a knock at my front door. Next up is a little bite-sized story from author Jay Melody. This was sent back in March of 2022. Are you sensing a theme of this episode? Jay has for us, his face was abnormal. 
his face was abnormal. Crooked isn't quite the right word to describe. The sinister smile he wore as I rolled over in our moonlit room. Perhaps devious, monstrous. That's not quite right either. Off, off is the word I'm hunting for. His face was off. Where his warm, wholesome, loving eyes used to be instead protruded frightening pits. His pupils were beyond dilated, as if ink had fallen into the whites of his eyes and was seeping through each microscopic vein. Every ounce of human was drowning in the blackness. Where his soft, perfectly pointed nose used to sit instead was a twitching pad of flesh, his cheeks glitching in sync with the flare of his carved-out asymmetrical nostrils. A string of code that was mistyped, twitching and glitching. And then, the smile. His soft, pale lips, which usually rested in a gently curved line while he slept, were cranked into a demonic position. The corners of his mouth were turned up to be almost perpendicular to his eyes, as if a child was attempting to sketch a blocky U-shaped smile. Prior to this moment, I was in a deep sleep, the kind that was suspiciously restful. I hadn't slept that hard in years, but something about the contortion of my body against the mattress matched with the ambient light of the moon, transported me into a powerful slumber. I couldn't say what woke me, only that my eyes fluttered open and my vision focused on the curved tree branch that hung outside our window. My back was turned to my husband, as it usually is when we sleep. My eyes remained on the branch for a few heavy moments as I processed my transition from asleep to awake. I slowly swept my gaze to my phone and removed my arm from its warm solace under the covers. The cold of the room hit my skin, and goosebumps rose instantaneously. I tapped the screen to check the time. 2.54 a.m. I flipped on my back and looked up at the white ceiling, contemplating whether or not to get a glass of water now that I was awake. The shadow of the tree branch danced at a surprisingly rapid pace, and I stared at it, imagining what in the windless night had caused it to move so fervently. Instead, I decided to roll over towards my husband something I never found myself doing in the middle of the night. He insisted early on in our relationship, when we first started spending heated nights intertwined in each other's beds, that we didn't sleep facing each other. He had a livid disdain for hot breath in his face, outside of passionate moments, and I obliged entirely. Small suggestions like that have no place taking up worry in the mind of young lovers. 
I never thought twice of the request, and for years happily slept on my back, or facing away from the man I'd chosen forever for. My body rolled first, my face remaining fixated on the dancing branch. My head felt heavy as it followed the momentum of my body, my long curly hair sliding against my chilly shoulders. My eyes scanned the lumpy covers before navigating their way up to my husband's face. I had spent no more than a few moments processing his inhuman expression when his face stopped twitching. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see the shadow of the dancing branch freeze at the exact moment my husband's face did as if they were inexplicably intertwined. My eyes refused to peel away from the demonic, now still smile, wondering if perhaps I was dreaming. I signaled my hand to move, to touch my husband's face in a comforting gesture I knew he loved, but my body remained comatose, afraid to interact with the thing staring back at me. I decided to speak. Honey, are you awake? No movement. His eyes, his nose, his cheeks, his smile, the branch in the window. Dead, still. Is this a dream? I uttered, mostly to myself. Are you awake? And then, as if shattering the silence with motion, his eyes began blinking rapidly. The shadow of the branch began quaking and he parted his lurid lips to whisper. And last, but certainly not least, is a story by Titi Lyo Ogundai Ilemi. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. I practiced a bunch and I looked up pronunciations online and you did send me the pronunciation for your first name, so I really appreciate that, but I really hope I got that last name right. This story, again, theme of the show, was sent in January of 2022. And I thought with Halloween season fast approaching, It'd be fun to throw in a little Christmas. Why not, right? A little Nightmare Before Christmas kind of vibe, you know? This is Klaus. Sylvie sat on the edge of her old leather couch, waiting for the oven to ping, ignoring the nightly newscaster's Midwestern drawl about the frigid weather that would take them into the new year. Inside the oven in her cramped kitchen were her famous snickerdoodles. Despite everything going on, Sylvie had laid down a batch of 24 before realizing her mistake, and she chastised herself. She had no intention of eating the sugary treats. Sylvie made her snickerdoodles for her grandson's sake. He hadn't eaten hardly anything in four days, 
but the detective's suggestion that she bake something familiar to him so that he'd be more relaxed for the interview made sense to her. The doorbell rang and Sylvie sucked in her breath. The cookies weren't done and wouldn't be for another 15 minutes, but the detective had arrived. She glanced at her grandfather's clock and noticed that it was the detective that was early and it wasn't that she had underestimated her timing. Sylvie rose from the couch, tucked a few loose strands of her hair behind her ear, and went to open the door. The detective smiled at her, but Sylvie didn't return it. This woman was not the face she expected to see, as it was a man's voice on the line who told her to expect a visit from the sheriff's department. Sylvie looked the woman up and down. She was shorter than Sylvie, though... Really, nearly everyone was shorter than her, as she was almost six foot tall, her greatest insecurity, and petite, with short, curly black hair. She wore loose-fitting brown slacks, and her black shoes were unnaturally shiny, as if she hadn't just walked up the salt-laden, snow-slushed walkway. The detective wore a cheaply made, thick, puffy jacket to brave the cold. Sylvie extended her hand. A handshake was more appropriate than a smile. To smile would have been an insult. Detective Bradshaw? Sylvie asked flatly. No. The detective took hold of Sylvie's hand and shook it once. I'm Detective Newton. You are Sylvie Middleson, correct? The handshake had been firm. You're early, Detective Newton. The detective's smile finally faltered. The sheriff told me the time was 1.30. Sylvie moved aside and gestured for the detective to come in. Take those shoes off. I won't make too much fuss. Don't mind the smell. I got cookies in the oven. Uh-huh, was Detective Newton's reply, as she easily slid her black shoes off. She looked around the dimly lit foyer, There were a few cobwells in the corners and some dust on the furniture, but otherwise, it looked like a comfortable home. How is everything? How are you doing? I'd be much better if my daughter wasn't missing, Sylvie said, curt. Detective Newton's eyebrows nodded, but instead she said, Where will we be conducting the interview? The kitchen, at the dining table. I gotta keep an eye on the cookies, and I know you've got questions to ask me first, Sylvie said as she started on her way to the kitchen. She stopped briefly to turn the old television off, and turned to Detective Newton once more. Is the tape recorder at the ready this time? I don't want to go through this again, and I still don't know why our written statements weren't enough. Detective Newton pulled a small tape recorder from her pants pocket. Apologies, Miss Middleson. Mrs. Middleson, please. Might be a widow, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a wife, Sylvie said without turning around. Detective Newton drew in her breath. Sylvie Middleson seemed like she possessed a tongue that could slash like a whip, and it seemed she was getting dangerously close to hearing it go. The sheriff and the senior detective Bradshaw had given her this case. Her first one. Bradshaw told her it was an average case of an overworked, underpaid single mother running off in the middle of the night. 
Bradshaw was certain that the woman would reappear, but felt he had to humor Sylvie Middleson because her grandson was hysterical about the events that transpired. Detective Newton was proud to take on the case, and had a feeling it wasn't as open and shut as Bradshaw believed. The kitchen was the brightest part of the house. The wallpaper was a sallow yellow, the countertops a worn lemon color, and the tile that lined the floor was white. Detective Newton had to blink to keep her eyes from the burning. She sniffed once and her stomach rumbled audibly. Hungry? Sylvie said as she scooted one of the wooden chairs from underneath the table. No. Detective Newton lied. All right, pull out the tape recorder and start with the questions. She placed the tape recorder gently on the table and pressed the record button. Where were you on the night of December 25th, 1979, between the hours of 1 and 4 a.m.? I was tucked nice and tight upstairs in my bed. Want to know what I was dreaming about? That, that won't be necessary, Mrs. Middleson, Detective Newton said evenly. At approximately what time were you awoken by your grandson, banging and screaming outside of your front door? Around 3.45 in the morning. Sylvie paused, and the detective saw something flash in her eyes. I'll never forget it. It was blood-curdling. Aaron was screaming his head off. He woke up the whole damn cul-de-sac. When you opened your door and saw your grandson, what was the state of his appearance? Pajamas and tennis shoes. Did you notice anything else? Sylvie shifted uncomfortably. He had four wet drops of blood on the front of his shirt. By the time I took his shirt off of him, it had dried, but the gashes... I still have the shirt if you need it as evidence. And what did your grandson tell you? He kept saying that Santa Claus had taken his mother. He screamed it over and over. Detective Newton stopped the tape recorder at the same time the oven dinged. Sylvie, who hadn't broken eye contact, suddenly looked away. Oh, the cookies! She slowly got up, put on a tattered oven mitt, and opened the oven, unleashing a welcome blast of hot air into the room. They've got to cool some before I grab Aaron. If they are too hot, he won't eat them, and he has to wait for them to cool. He might become impatient and go all mute on us again. Detective Newton watched Sylvie place the aluminum pan on the counter. The smell of the cookies again made her stomach growl. Sylvie looked back at her with an apologetic expression on her face for the first time. I I'm not going to eat any of these cookies, and Aaron may only eat one. Help yourself. I can't. Detective Newton looked away. It's against protocol. What's that matter? This case is a joke, isn't it? Pardon? You're the first lady detective I've ever met. 
Those men at the sheriff's office sent you here because they are convinced my Susanna voluntarily left her life behind. On Christmas morning of all damn days, Sylvie said, voice wavering. They gave you this case because they have no respect for any of it. They think this is all a waste of time. So, they sent you here. Detective Newton only smiled. I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I prefer if you didn't assume, Mrs. Middleson. Your daughter's disappearance is serious. I noticed a few missing person signs on the lampposts on the drive here. Sylvie's eyes watered. Yes. I put them up as soon as the libraries were open for printing. Detective Newton's expression became serious. My goal is for them to be taken down as quickly as they were put up. I'll find your daughter. Sylvie's chin quivered, and she quickly tucked another loose strand of her hair behind her ear. Thank you. Please. Detective Newton started, but Sylvie rambled onwards. No, really, thank you. You'll have no idea how much I needed to hear that. It's been unbearable these last few days. Susanna and I talk on the phone every evening, and it's been so hard not to hear the sound of her voice. Before leaving the kitchen, Sylvie placed her trembling hand gently on Detective Newton's shoulder. Please, help yourself to a cookie. Take as many as you want. She watched Sylvie walk away for a second, before turning her attention to the cookies, cooling on the counter. The stairs creaked under Sylvie's weight as she trudged, but when the noise stopped, Detective Newton reached for one of the cookies and took a bite. They were the best snickerdoodle cookies she had ever eaten. The perfect balance of cinnamon and sugar, and the perfect texture with crunchy edges and a moist center. She grabbed another, then another, before she finally stopped herself. Detective Newton took out her little notepad, which contained the details Bradshaw had given her about the case. Susanna Mott was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was a single mother, providing for her seven-year-old son, Aaron Mott, with her meager grocery clerk salary. According to Sylvie, Susanna called her around 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve, and Susanna seemed content. She suggested that she might be getting promoted at work. Sylvie said nothing about the phone call implied that her daughter was miserable or desperate for an out. Detective Newton pursed her lips. She suddenly found herself annoyed with Bradshaw for being so dismissive about this case. At this point, she was certain that something was very, very wrong. There was a knock on the wall, and Detective Newton turned and stood up. There, Sylvie stood with her hands on the shoulders of the most forlorn-looking child she had ever seen. Aaron Mott's cheeks had sunken, and the bags under his eyes were a deep purple. His skin was pale and wan, as if sick. His collar was wide around his neck and hung low. His pants seemed to buckle, suggesting rapid weight loss. He had the blackest hair she had ever seen, and he was quite tall for a seven-year-old. 
Two obvious attributes from Sylvie, as her hair was jet black other than a few gray strands, and she was strikingly tall for a woman. In his hand, he held a Polaroid. Detective Newton smiled at the boy, and, to her surprise, he returned it. You're pretty, Aaron said sweetly. Why, thank you, young man. Sylvie ushered him to the chair that she had been sitting in. Aaron sat down slowly, his eyes traveling from the tape recorder to the notepad and to Detective Newton's face. Sylvie handed her grandson a cookie, and the boy took it with a quiet thanks, but didn't eat it. Aaron sat with his hands on the table, eyes expectant. He had placed the Polaroid face down on the table. Detective Newton extended her hand. I'm the detective assigned to the case, but you can call me Miss Lucy. Okay. Sylvie stood against the counter, her arms folded. She offered Detective Newton a faint smile, then said, Remember, just a few questions. Detective Newton pressed the record button on her tape recorder. So, Aaron, can you tell me a bit about Christmas Eve? How was it? Did you and your mother bake cookies for Santa? Aaron shook his head. We have mice. Oh, bummer. Well, how did you prepare for Santa's visit? Mommy and I finished putting all the Christmas ornaments on the tree, Aaron said. And we watched Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. I fell asleep, though. Did your mother carry you up to your room? Yes. When I woke up, I was tucked in my bed. Why did you wake up? Were you excited to catch Santa in the act? Aaron paused. He glanced at his grandmother, and Sylvie nodded in silent approval. Detective Newton raised an eyebrow. It's okay. Tell me everything. Don't hold back. The boy's body tensed. I heard something, Miss Lucy. Something scratching on my window. A mouse? He lifted his finger, dug his nail into the table, and dragged it across, drawn out and loud. The detective and Sylvie both winced, but Aaron said nothing. I see. Did you look to see what it was? Yes, but I didn't see anything. Detective Newton swallowed. Were you scared? No, I was happy, kinda, cause it meant I wouldn't mess up my plan. Plan? Aaron smiled weakly. Yeah, I thought Mommy might have been Santa. That's what the kids at school told me. I wanted to see if it was true. Sylvie chuckled. <laughs> so you went downstairs after the scratching noise woke you up. I had my camera in my hand ready to catch her. Detective Newton glanced at the Polaroid. What did you see when you made it down the stairs? All of the presents under the tree. 
Aaron still smiled, but it was starting to waver. That's when I knew it wasn't true. Santa is real. What happened next? The doorbell rang. Detective Newton leaned forward. How many times did it ring? Twice. What did you do after the second ring? Aaron looked away. His smile finally faltered and his body tensed again. When he looked back at the detective, his eyes were watery. Something I shouldn't have done. I thought maybe Santa had forgotten to give me a present, so I put my camera on one of the stairs and I timed it. I wanted to capture Santa on camera, so I opened the door. Detective Newton stopped the tape recorder. Tears started cascading down Aaron's cheeks, and Sylvie had come to his side, crouched. She rubbed his narrow shoulders, and the boy heaved. Detective Newton stuffed her notepad and tape recorder in her jacket pocket and rose from her chair. Aaron, you've been so brave throughout this entire ordeal, but I think that's enough for now. Detective Newton said softly, sweetly. Sylvie looked up, mouthed, thank you, and wrapped her arm around her grandson. I'm going to find your mother, Aaron. She'll be back home soon. To her surprise, Aaron violently shook his head. Mommy is gone. Klaus took her and flew away. What do you mean he flew away? Detective Newton asked, despite herself. Miss Lucy, when I opened the door, there was a really tall man standing there. He was wearing a long black coat. Aaron heaved. He said he was Santa's brother Klaus and that it was his job to give gifts to mommies and daddies. He said if he could come in and I said yes. My camera went off then and the light caused me to see that he... he was some kind of monster. Aaron, Sylvie said gently, but Aaron ignored her and said, He had glowing red eyes and sharp teeth. I screamed and Bobby came running downstairs. Miss Lucy, the monster moved so quickly he pushed me and everything went black. When I woke up, Klaus had Mommy in his arms and he was walking out of the door. He, he flew, Miss Lucy. He... Detective Newton quickly crouched down and looked Aaron in his overflowing, miserable eyes, silencing him. Aaron, it's okay. We're done for the day. You don't need to tell me anymore. I believe it. I believe you. At that, the boy nodded but began to sob harder. Sylvie took hold of him and walked out of the kitchen, asking that Detective Newton not leave before she returned. Detective Newton watched as Sylvie led her grandson back upstairs, and eventually... His wailing sounded distorted and indistinguishable. She glanced at the uneaten cookie on the napkin, and a deep feeling of despair took root in her stomach. No one at the house had eaten hardly anything in days, and she felt miserable that she helped herself to the cookies after all. 
besides Aaron's uneaten cookie, was a Polaroid. She glanced backward, noting that she was still alone in the kitchen, and grabbed it to take a look. Detective Newton gasped and clasped her hand over her mouth. In the foreground of the picture, she could see a blurry Aaron wearing what looked like a matching set of Hardy Boy pajamas with his back turned to the camera. Facing the camera, standing at the door, was a thin, tall man wearing a black cloak. His skin was whiter than whiteout and his eyes were shiny and red. The man had a single, gnarled hand outstretched towards Aaron, and there was a glimpse of his mouth, and she could see that his mouth was full of yellow, sharp teeth. And like she had been moments earlier, hungrily eyeing the snickerdoodles like a starving hyena. Detective Newton could see the glint in the man's eye conveyed a ravenous hunger. A hunger for something... something unnatural. Do you have everything? Sylvie said flatly, and Detective Newton let out a small scream. Is it enough now? Detective Newton whipped around, hiding the small Polaroid behind her back. Sylvie's mouth was a firm line, but her cheeks were wet. She held a small plastic bag in her hand. Detective Newton cleared her voice and said, Yes, and once again, I'm sorry for everything that's happened. This is a horrible crime. Yeah. Sylvie wiped her cheek. Thank you anyway. Before I go, I'd like to take a look at those pajamas you said he was wearing the night he ran here. Detective Newton said evenly. Sylvie held the plastic bag towards the detective. I wasn't going to let you leave without seeing what he had on that night. Detective Newton muttered her thanks and then opened the bag. She pulled out the pajama shirt and gasped. There were four huge splotches of blood right underneath the collar. They were the size of silver dollar pancakes. My God. Detective Newton muttered. There were four small gashes on his chest. They were small, but deep, Sylvie said quietly. It's a miracle he didn't need stitches. Detective Newton put the clothing back in the plastic bag and then handed Sylvie the Polaroid. Is this your first time seeing this? No. Why didn't you mention it in your official statement or mention it at all on tape. Sylvie chuckled mirthlessly. Why would I do that? There's no one in that picture other than Aaron. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much once again to my authors, Callie Demi, Jay Melody, and Titi Lyo Ogundai Ilemi. Again, I really hope I got that right. Um, thank you so much for sending these in, and my apologies for it taking so long for them to get on the show. 
Uh, again, I mentioned throughout the episode, but yeah, I, my submissions are very backed up, especially some of you who are coming from Creepy. Uh, I've explained already in a couple episodes, but it's just me. I don't have a cast or uh, production team or anything, so it uh, just takes me a while. And since I had some downtime, um, many of you know, some of you may not know, one reason I did not have an episode last week is I had to be hospitalized last Thursday for health, obviously for health reasons. Why else would I be hospitalized? Um, not going to really super go into it, but I have been um, on the mend for uh, the last week. And so this this ramble is not going to be too long. Oh, let me just get all the all the good points out. Uh, Patreon, if you like, if you would like ad free episodes, they're available for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon. Three dollars and up gets you bonus episodes. There is a new bonus episode where I did a ramble to try to make up to my patrons for not having an episode last week, where I explain why I go into stuff a little more. And uh, let's see, there's oh yeah, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, all at Scary to Sleep. And if you'd like to submit a story on the show, you can send it to scary to sleep at gmail.com. I've also recently opened submissions until October 1st for my kids episode. And new to the show, if you are new to the show, every year I do an annual kids episode, a kids Halloween episode. And that is for submissions from kids 13 and younger. Literally, I have gotten stories from four-year-olds before. Uh, if you want your four-year-old to ramble a scary story at you while you type it type it out, be my guest. I love it. So yeah, I'm I'm accepting submissions from kids 13 and under. Um, I like to keep them, hopefully keep them a little pretty short because I tend to get a lot of these and I pack them all into one episode. So try to keep them a little short on the shorter side if you can. Um, if not, if you have a lot to say, then who am I to stop you? But I just love to support and promote junior horror authors and just to support creative writing. I feel, uh, I've, I've heard that creative writing isn't taught as much in schools at this very moment. And I, it's just my little way to encourage some fun creative writing. Cause I don't know where I would be if I wasn't given the support and tools as a kid to write all my weird stories that I used to write when I was a little one. So, so if you have, uh, someone 13 and younger in your life, then please, uh, send it in teachers feel free to as well i've had teachers before send out permission slips they use it as a um like a a, i I think for extra credit or something i'm not really sure i'm not a teacher don't let me tell you how to live your life Uh, my brother's a teacher you guys are doing the best with the very little that you're given and i appreciate that but yeah i don't know if I, i have had teachers though send out permission slips and have their kids do that that's just an idea throwing that out there in case you're like i'm at my wit's end I just need these kids to do something. Scary story. Why not? Um, But again, I get a lot of submissions every year. So, uh, you know, I I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I do sometimes. Okay, let me. We're getting into the rambles now. If you would like to turn off the episode, if you're not into rambles. But I do want to explain the teen spirit episodes. So I used to also do, along with the kids submissions episode, I did one called teen spirit. And it was for 14 to 17 year olds. And unfortunately, I am so sorry, but I've had issues with several of those episodes um, with uh, plagiarism. Unfortunately, I don't. There's no. There's no other way to say it other than plagiarism. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to paint teens with a wide brush, but uh, I have had. And the the problem with that is. 
I am not as up on my current creepy pastas, and so what will have what has happened if a couple times is I will upload the episode and then get emails from listeners and also friends. I've had a few friends who have pointed this out too to me, and they've noticed that uh, certain stories are completely plagiarized from you know other stories that are on like the No Sleep subreddit or on a creepy pasta things like that. And so I have been hesitant to do another teen spirit episode, but if there's a lot of, if there's a lot of interest, email me, DM me, tweet at me, whatever you'd like, then I will definitely bring it back. But I, it was kind of one of those where I never got as many submissions for it anyway, as I did for the kids. And then I was having these plagiarism issues. And so I kind of just put a stop on that for, uh, I think I did, I don't think I did one last year. Did I do one last year? If I did, then I'm a liar, but this year I wasn't planning on doing one. Um, but if there is a, a huge interest, let me know. And I'm happy to put something together, but I'm also putting it out there that I have eyes and ears around me and don't plagiarize. It's not fun to plagiarize. That's, that's no fun. It's more fun to have your own work, read sound effects and stuff like that. It's in when it's your own work, it feels so good. It doesn't feel I'm, I can't imagine it even feels any like anything if it's just some random creepypasta you copied and pasted and changed a few words here and there. Um, but you know, there's, there's no fun in that. So yeah, that's that's to explain the teen spirits, because uh, I have gotten like one or two questions about that. Um, but again, if I get a lot of interest, I will bring it back this year. Okay, um, before I go, I once again just wanted to say thank you so much to the outpouring of love and support I got last week. I did not expect that. Uh, I I just, I really just wanted to stay honest and be like, hey, this is why there's no episode. You know, I genuinely, I'm not being lazy. I'm not just skipping one for no reason. There's a whole, there's a legitimate reason. So that's why I posted that to social media. And I, I really did not expect the response. It was beautiful. It made me feel so good and feel less alone and scared um, because I was, I was very scared and uh, thank you so much. And uh, oh, speaking of, um, so Historic Hangouts, if you're a fan of Historic Hangouts, it's on hiatus right now. My co-host is uh, in, I don't know if I can really say exactly, but um, well, it's not like he's in the fucking military. He's not like in a, this isn't CIA stuff. He's in Europe. He's in Switzerland for work. And uh, this trip of his was supposed to last like a few days, but like things frequently go in the, uh, I can say what industry, I can't say what project, but in the video game industry, uh, this project took a lot longer than expected. So I apologize. I wanted to get that out on this show. If you, cause I, I, I know I have a lot of crossover, you listen to historic hangouts. That is why an episode has not been out. Uh, it's, it's been quite the month, like this, him getting extended for a very long time. He's been there for a very long time in Switzerland, me going through all this stuff, all my health stuff. And, um, it's just been a lot. It's, um, but I'm hanging in there and I've got you guys as seriously, when I say that your support has been incredibly helpful, I'm not just doing the influencer thing where I'm like, oh my God, thanks. You're so, your support like gets me through every day. Like it literally gets me through every day. Like I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, it's been incredible. Thank you so much. And, um, all right, I'm going to go and, oh, what have I baked? 
I've been kind of indisposed, so I haven't baked much. Um, oh, no, that's a lie. I just last night or the night before, I don't know, my days are getting mixed up. I made a gooey butter cake. Um, Midwestern people, I learned that from you um, on TikTok. I had never heard of them before. I made a half batch, so I think that the topping didn't turn out quite exactly right. It's still delicious, but it's just like so sweet. Like it's a little too sweet for me, the topping. But again, I made a half batch, so maybe I put too much powdered sugar. I thought I did the calculations correctly, but um, I'm also on painkillers, so who knows? <laughs> who knows how my math is right now? And uh, the topping, the, the part, the cream cheese part um, turned out like it's a little too sickly sweet for me. I can only have a very tiny piece, but it's very delicious. It's very delicious. And it, it, yeah, if you have your favorite, if your own favorite butter, gooey butter cake recipe, send it my way because it seems like something that I could definitely do again and do it um, better. <laughs> and the flavors are great. All right, um, I'm going to go... But that's what I baked this week. I can send you the recipe if you'd like. I just found, I, I basically found out about this creation on TikTok and then typed it into Google and picked like the first one that came up. And so again, Midwestern, I think it's a Midwestern dish. I apologize if you're from like Texas and you're like, no, it's one of ours. I just know it's not something I've heard of really in California. So, um, but if, if you guys have your own family recipe, send it over or post it um for the people to see in the socials and junk okay i'm gonna go i love you go get some sleep drink your water please for me drink your water please 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 drink your water go get some sleep sweet dreams Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.